Hello, and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we live lives, that allows us to have a little bit more courage to love the hell out of this world. My name is Reverend Sean, and I am one of your hosts, and it's so great to be joining with you as we are deep in our series, Simple Gifts. Now, when Gretchen told me that she was going to be preaching on rebellion, here's the conversation that we had. It went something like this. Yeah, I think I'm going to preach on uh, rebellion next Sunday. And I said, oh, so you're you're going to preach on Star Wars? <laughs> and she said, no. I was thinking more like Hanukkah and the Maccabean Revolt. And I was like, so you're going to preach on Star Wars? <laughs> and she just kind of rolled her eyes. Uh, because I would love to preach on Star Wars every day, especially with a topic like rebellion. Um, and that's because... For me, Star Wars has always been this beautiful uh, tapestry of stories to interact with and interact, you know, understand the world through. Rebellion is at the heart of the story. I mean, the choice to resist the tyranny of the Empire is at the heart of the original trilogy and beyond. And yet, you know, as I've gotten older, I've kind of struggled with the ways that in much of Star Wars, the, the choice to rebel has seemed so easy. Like it's the only obvious choice one would make. You know, we see our heroes on the screen, they take up most of the space. And yet, you know, if we're honest, there are billions and billions of people in that galaxy that, that don't rebel, that don't join the rebellion, or at least we don't see them too, which is something I think I can relate to. I no, I'm just on a personal level. There are so much destructive forces and evil in this world. It can be too easy just to to focus on your family, the needs of your immediate community, and not see how those that the struggles that you're having connect to the struggles that people are having, not only in your communities that you can't see, but also around the world and how you're all actually fighting the same fight to resist um, tyranny and the ways of, of s s colonization and segregation and oppression. And so I want to tell you about two scenes uh, from Star Wars that, that really stick to me. And they're a little deep dive, so bear with me. The, the first is from Rogue One, which I think is one of the best new Star Wars movies out there, and I highly recommend it to everyone, even if you're not a huge Star Wars person. So in, in Rogue One, it happens before the original trilogy, and it's the story of how they got the Death Star plans, right? In Star Wars A New Hope, this is where we see Luke Skywalker, you know, find R2-D2, he has the Death Star plans, and, you know, rescue Princess Leia, or really show up for Princess Leia, and she rescues herself, um, and then they go and blow up the Death Star. All of that is predicated on, well, you know, having the plans in the first place. And so Rogue One is the story of how they get the plans. And there's this one scene where they realize that the plans are going to be held at this imperial base called Scarif, and they're deciding, all of the leaders of the Rebel Alliance have gathered, and they're deciding if they're going to launch the raid. They're going to launch a raid to try to recover the plans. And the mood in the room is not very positive. I mean, most of the people are afraid that they're going to get destroyed, that it might be a trap. And yet, if they don't do this, if they don't get these plans, chances are Death Star will become active, and it will, you know, vanquish them anyways. So there's this one character that I love, Jin Urso. She's the hero of the story. 
And at one point in the council, you know, people are saying, what chances do we have? What chance do we actually have to, to recover these plants? And Jin responds with this really powerful sentiment that she says, what chance do we have? The question is, what choice do we have? When you give in to an enemy with that much power, you condemn the galaxy to an eternity of submission. Another person responds, it's hopeless. And she retorts, you know, that's rebellions are built on hope. For the audience, we look at this and we say, well, of course you need to do this. And yet they don't. They don't do it. Because they're too afraid. Which I think captures something at the heart for a lot of us, is that fear to step out can be so great. But the best part is, of course, because they're rebels, there's going to be people that are going to rebel against the rebellion. And they do just that. A group of them, they get in, they steal essentially a bunch of fighters. They launch the raid, they find the plans, and they are able to get them to Princess Leia. And that sets off the chain reaction that allows the Death Star to be destroyed. Five years before this point, there was this young rebel named Nimic, and he wrote this manifesto. And before I let Gretchen jump into her message, I just want to read a passage of it. Because I think it speaks to not only the challenge of how immense our struggles can feel to, to build that beloved community, but also how we all have a place. He wrote, there will be times when the struggle seems impossible. Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this, freedom is a pure ideal. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. And even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. Remember, the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. That's why in this podcast we often say the courage to love the hell out of this world, not just in the big ways that seem out of reach, but in the small ways, because we know it's in those small ways that we not only unlock our own freedom, but we help other people step into their freedom too. What chance do we have? Really, the question is what choice do we have? And that choice to rebel is exactly what Gretchen's going to get into in her message. And so I'm going to turn it over to her. So we were having breakfast last Saturday when my partner Carrie and I, um, when my partner Carrie and I were having breakfast last Saturday when Carrie declared that our kids, who are now 14 and 17, that they have always snuck down to see the presents before they wake us up on Sunday morning. I mean, on Christmas morning. Like, they do not. She was shocked at my shock and declared how naive I was once again. See, this was not the first time that Carrie and I realized that we have very different relationships to rules. I was, I know this will surprise all of you, what you might call a very compliant child especially when it came to expectations from my parents. Carrie's childhood, on the other hand, was, let's just say, oriented differently. Didn't you and your sisters sneak down and see the presents, she said. 
Sure. My sister and I always did, she said. It's just a part of what Christmas means as a kid. Your parents set absurd rules about what you can't do, and then you find ways to do it anyway. This is not how I understand Christmas. Now, I have learned over the years that Carrie's orientation to rules is a better predictor for our kids' behavior than my, than my own. And so my shock at the idea that our children would, would have been pulling one over on me for most of my life, or in their lives, did not necessarily mean that it wasn't true. Except in this case, I was really confident that Carrie was wrong. So we bet on it. Carrie bet that they definitely snuck down to see before waking us, and I said they definitely did not. And then we asked our kids to tell us the truth. We wouldn't be mad because it was, it was for our bet. And well, let's just say that I'm very much looking forward to the night when I don't feel like making dinner and Carrie has to. Because you totally lost the bet. And for this one sweet moment, my heart swelled with pride. And my good compliant children who did Christmas morning just like we asked. Joseph, my son's exact response was, no way, mom, the surprise is way more fun. And when he said this, I knew he was telling the truth. Because part of what we know about rules is that compliance comes easier if the rules are self-rewarding. You know, if the rule makes sense, and not just to the one who makes the rules. I mean, obviously, most times the rule maker thinks the rule is a good idea. But if you asked, you're asked to follow somebody else's rules, it helps if the rule leads to something that you like or that you believe in yourself. Without that, we are all prone to rebellion. Even if you think of yourself like I do as a very compliant person who follows the rules. In fact, studies have shown that most people who break rules do not think of themselves as rule breakers. They don't think any less of themselves and they don't think of themselves certainly as a rebel or even as a cheater. Actually, recent studies out of the University of Washington and Harvard University shows that breaking rules has the opposite effect on us. Breaking a rule makes you feel smarter and more capable. It gives you a sense of power and freedom. This is what's known as the cheater's high. And it can be a good thing. I mean, obviously there is a point where that is not the case, but for today, just say, let's just leave the warnings about rule breaking being bad to all the other churches out there. Because what we don't say enough is that sometimes non-compliance is not just a good thing, it can be life-saving. Sometimes that cheater's high isn't just about instant gratification, after all. It can be the beginning of a better life, and not just for the so-called cheater. Studies show that there is a euphoria that comes after you break a rule, and then this that feeling of euphoria breaks open a creativity that wasn't there before so that you start to make associations and considerations that you simply don't make when you are rule bound. The cheater's high, it creates an experience of agency in yourself and also a differentiation 
that can allow you to become more fully and uniquely your own self. The personal experience of liberation in turn becomes infectious so that anyone who sees you standing in your own truth, regardless of what anyone else is saying, will likely feel in themselves a new permission and possibility for what their liberation would mean, their path of standing in their own truth. I'm going to interject here really quickly. Gretchen in the service played an ad from the J&B Whiskey Company. It's a Spanish-language ad that, that you might have seen that doesn't really translate audibly because most of it is visual. I just want to describe the ad to you. It opens up in kind of a, a Spanish village. It's Christmas time, and the whole ad centers around this grandfather figure. At the beginning, he goes into the bathroom, he locks the door, and he pulls out lipstick that he had taken from who he presumed to be his wife, and he's applying it to his lips. And at first, he does not such a great job of applying it. And he kind of hides it away. In, in the next scene, he goes to... Uh, a convenience store and he like kind of awkwardly goes and grabs a palette of what looks like eyeshadow. Um, the clerk looks at him kind of strangely like why is this old man buying it and you know he buys it nonetheless and he starts to look at magazines for inspiration and he keeps going back to the bathroom and keeps practicing putting on eyeshadow and and makeup and lipstick and eyeliner and he gets better. He's getting much better. As the ad continues, you start to have these questions about, like, why is he doing this? It is, you know, he's exploring his feminine side. Is he trans? Like, what is the story that's going on here? At one point, he almost gets caught practicing his makeup. But in the middle of the ad, he gets quite phenomenal at makeup. I mean, if he was in the drag world, he would be serving fish, if you knew what that meant. But that's not actually the point of the ad. Because suddenly we get introduced to a new character. A car pulls up to their house. And a young person, presumably his grandchild, gets out of the car. And the title comes up. It says Alvaro, 26 years old. And Alvaro is kind of dressed in, in a suit, got a tattoo on their neck. And, you know, looks okay. He doesn't look the happiest. And they're getting ready for what seems to be a Christmas meal. And they're lighting candles, and the grandfather kind of turns to Alvaro and kind of nods, says, hey, come with me. And they go into that bathroom, the place where he's been practicing. And then grandfather applies makeup onto his grandchild in this really beautiful, tender act. Like, he's learned this. He spent time to care. And then they both emerge, everyone in the family sitting at the table, and there is the grandfather looking lovingly at his grandchild. The family is just overwhelmed with love. And then this caption comes up that says, Anna, 26 years old. And then a title comes up that says, The magic is not only in the Christmas, it's in all of us. I would highly recommend you go and watch it but that's kind of an audio description of the ad, and I'm going to turn it back to Gretchen. It's beautiful. I love it so much. I love, especially in the beginning, uh, when it's just the, the grandfather who seems to be breaking the rules. You see him wrestling with just, like, how differentiated he's going to be, um, how rebellious, even just, like, privately, how many rules that he's accepted over his whole life he is now willing to break. 
And then, of course, by the end of the ad, you realize that the rebellion is all a rehearsal for the permission that he will give to his young adult grandchild to rebel, that is, to be fully herself at the holiday table. And, of course, it's also, I think, not totally clear how much of the early part was about his own truth that he'd never let himself claim and how Anna's process was actually giving permission to break the rules that he'd complied with his whole life. This is the gift of rebellion. That is to be differentiated enough and to go our own way, to see something as true and valid, regardless of all evidence pointing a different direction, and then to offer this freedom to another to take a stand and yet also to stay connected in relationship so that we can grow a new world together. This gift is what spurs on rebellions, even when they come at a great cost. Like, for example, the uprisings that we have been seeing in Iran over the last few months, emerging after 22-year-old Masa Imani was arrested in Tehran for violating the dress code for women and then was beaten to death by the morality police while in their custody. Just as with past governmental protests, the uprisings there have been met with arrests and brutality and most recently, public executions. And still the rebels now in their third month have shown no sign of backing down. They have little chance. But as Sean said, what other choice do they have? Their only hope rests in their willingness to stand in that smallest of possibilities and by their very lives resist. I have to imagine that this is how the band of Jewish rebels in ancient Palestine must have felt. That their people had been terrorized and oppressed for generations. The tyrannical king had outlawed their religion, defiled their temple, and their way of life had been banned altogether. And still, across all the years, the rebels, that small band, had never stopped working for their freedom. Even though they didn't have enough resources, even though they were outnumbered, even though they had no real reason to think they could succeed, they remained, however, patient and faithful. Until finally, as if suddenly, they overthrew their oppressors and liberated their people who immediately reclaimed their temple as they gathered together once again in community. This is the story of Hanukkah, which begins tonight. The story of the Jewish people and the unlikely success of the small band of rebels known as the Maccabees. It feels especially important to tell this story this year with the recent rise of anti-Semitism. For it is a story of a people who lived with a constant state of fear and threat, and yet who also persisted in faith. Now in the historical record, the success of the Maccabees is that they managed to succeed at all. That is the miracle of Hanukkah a small group that refused to accept the world as it was and who continued to resist and rebel until liberation finally became the reality. Their rebellion is the good news. 
Except if you know the story of Hanukkah, you know that this is not actually the way it's usually told. Usually we hear at least a little bit about oil or candles and the eight nights. Now this is because when the rabbis who preserved the story went to record it, they decided they wanted to tell it with a different frame. Now in their telling, they, we are reminded that for many years before that uprising, the Jews had missed their great festival of Sukkot, which must be celebrated in the temple, which of course they weren't allowed to go to. And so now that they had returned, they could begin the ritual and renew their promises with one another and with their God. Now, so as they started this ritual, they realized that all but one night's worth of oil had been destroyed. They needed eight days worth. But so they decided, well, let's just try it anyway. And as the story goes, the oil lasted for the whole eight days. Even though there was not enough, even though it was impossible, somehow they still succeeded. This was the miracle in the rabbi's telling. These eight days are, of course, why Hanukkah is celebrated for eight nights, and the oil is how we end up with things like latkes and other oil-heavy foods as a part of the Hanukkah celebration. In their reframing of the story, the rabbis wanted to remind their people that the most important part of rebellion was not the violent uprising. The most important part was the faithfulness of the people represented by that ritual. It is the people's act of lighting and God's assurance there would still be enough. Now, both the rabbinical and the historical story remind us that change was possible because the people didn't stop trying. Despite what the rules and the norms around them might have them believe, they kept showing up and kept lighting the lamp, even though it seemed clear there was no chance for success. They never stopped trying. Author Park Parker Palmer says that we need to stop requiring that our rebellions lead to results. Not the results are bad, which is that gauging our rebellions based on their possible results shuts down our imaginations for what is possible when rebellions actually require expansive creativity to see the world that could be, but is not. To stand in that smallest of possibilities and by your life, resist. The frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. John quotes the young rebel Nemec writing in his manifesto, and we see this in our two versions of the Hanukkah story. The historical Hanukkah says that the gift of rebellion lives in the broad collective movements that would overthrow a tyrant. And the rabbinical Hanukkah says that the gift is also in the small, everyday ways, the practices that help you know who you are and whose you are. The frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. It is in the resisting of oppressive empires and it is also kindling a light in the darkness. Now, I've watched that ad, as I said, a few times now. And the one thing I keep returning to is how small the grandfather's act of rebellion really is. I mean, it's lipstick and eyeshadow. 
in a family bathroom. But this small private act of rebellion creates an experience of liberation and possibility across generations so that we can imagine norms of all sorts starting to come into question in this family and then in each of their individual lives across their networks this one moment of permission to break the rules of gender and self-expression might well be the seed of permission to break other rules that would break your spirit and to pursue the path of life and love abundant. It is an act of rebellion to be a whole person. Writer Courtney Martin says, it's an act of rebellion to be a whole person, an act of rebellion to show up as your whole self, and especially in the parts that are complex, that are unfinished, that are vulnerable. This is the gift of rebellion that we can give to ourselves and to each other especially during the holidays when so many of us are trying to figure out what parts of ourselves we can and cannot make known and how much of the usual rules we will comply with or break and just how much freedom and agency we will claim. It is a gift of to remember that this simple choice that feels so private and personal can actually be a part of a greater movement, a gift to follow the path of truth, to kindle still that light of hope, to refuse to let the lights go out. So let us be the ones who choose to break the rules that break our spirits, to seek out and to stand in the smallest of possibilities for change, and by our very lives, resist. May it be so. And amen. I think all of us have this little C-3PO voice in our head that when we're encountering some sort of, you know, asteroid belt, metaphorical, probably, hopefully for most of us, that we're trying to navigate some challenging situation, that, that, that choice to stand in our own truth and by our very lives resist that much might break our spirits, that kind of... <laughs> in that shrill voice says something like, the chances of navigating this are like 3,750 to one. And for us, our choice in that moment is to say, like Han Solo, don't tell me the odds. Don't tell me the odds. Because the odds, when we don't do it, are too great. Even if the chance for success is too small. And so I wonder this week, I wonder where you might find your place where you will choose to break the rules, the rules you've set for yourself, the rules that your family members have set, the ones they say, the ones they don't say, but you know are there, even the rules and the laws that are unjustly placed on our society. I wonder where you will choose to rebel and stand in that smallest possibility for change and resist because you know that our lives depend upon it. And that's your challenge this week. It's not a small challenge. It is a momentous one. But the good news is that you can start it in a very small way. It can be as simple as locking the bathroom door and trying on a little bit of lipstick or indulging in that truth that you are afraid to even speak its name or it could be joining others to resist the hatred 
that lives in this world, even if it costs you Thanks for listening. May the force be with you.